Welcome to the Westminster Effect Soxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in light of Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can go buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. You can join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Make sure you share and rate the show five stars blah 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 you know how this goes uh lutheran john is not joining us today but in person we do have hey everybody it's bradley cox pastor at resurrection church in greer south carolina and things are going swimmingly here yeah we're doing good yeah we're doing great um yeah nothing nothing just bonkers going on we're humming along college football is about to start that is true uh the braves choked last night they're not playing particularly well but other than that things here at res are great they are great um so we're finishing up the tulip today the final point of the doctrines of grace or the canons of Dort. well not really the canons of door there's more than that in Dort. uh but what's known as the five points of calvinism today we're at the perseverance of the saints so some people like to call it the preservation of the saints Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not opposed to that, but I think both are adequate. We'll get into that. Uh, but basically, th- the elect will persevere to the end. Yes. And they will be finally saved. Yes. Um, I think the caveat here, let's just knock out the caveat up front. This is not the same as once saved, always saved. No. Uh, the once saved, always saved mentality gets into the seeker-sensitive carnal Christianity, I think it's called, mm-hmm. where you know you ask Jesus into your heart, quote-unquote, and then that's it. <laughs> right? Like, there's right. there's no real fruit, uh, well, and you and, can, and you can th- go live like a heathen the rest yeah. of your life, and you're okay. And, and typically when that is talked about, it, it's, you know, contextualized with if someone makes a genuine confession of faith, if, right. if they are sincere, th- right. and that's where once saved, always saved comes off the rails immediately is that the emphasis is placed on the person's personal decision yes. and the sincerity that they produce in that decision. If those things are there, they will not ever become unsaved. Right. Um, and by implication, will live a Christian life, mm-hmm. morally speaking and whatnot. Right. So with Perseverance of the Saints, just a couple of things from Scripture. So let's start Old Testament, Isaiah 46. Uh, he says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, which we understand, New Covenant-wise, is the church. Mm-hmm. It's the true Israel. Who have been born by me from before your youth, carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yes. Uh, you also have Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed yes. for the day of redemption. You know, we, we usually stop at don't grieve the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. but he sealed you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us 
looking to Jesus, yes. the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You also have John 6. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Very like it's all through scripture, even with the uh like and and I think Hebrews six actually lends more credence to our position, but we won't go in there and mm-hmm. exegete the whole thing right now. But uh, you're grabbing your Bible. What are you trying to do? Well, I th- I think there's a c- you know couple of things here. You know, preservation, uh, perseverance of the saints. You know, it, it certainly what we find in Scripture is that when God saves, He keeps those who are saved. Yep. When when we're born again. We're not going to be unborn again. Yep. So there is a, shall we say, a, um, um, it, it's a done deal kind of sense about our salvation. Mm-hmm. It has happened, and it is going to happen. Yeah, which is which places us in the reformed sphere of things, as opposed to like we we have great reverence for Augustine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I named a dog after him, right? Yeah, right. Um, but. Uh, he believed that though the election was irrevocable, you could lose your regeneration uh, if if you weren't keeping with the faith. Uh, though, though he would say that you would eventually get it back, you could become unregenerate again. But anyway, yeah, and and honestly, I I don't I don't go there. Yeah, but I do want to let Scripture bring the if. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, case in point, uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, on the heels of saying God in Christ has transferred us out of the kingdom of, delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, uh, in whom we have the redemption, forgiveness of our sins. And then he goes into what arguably is the greatest hymn about the person of Christ in all of Scripture, talking about things like he is the image of the invisible God. All things were made by him, through him, for him. He's before all things. All things hold together. He is the head of his body, the church, the beginning, firstborn from among the dead, et cetera, et cetera. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So there's this lauding of the greatness and the preeminence of Christ through whom God has done this for us, delivered us out of darkness, transferred us into his kingdom. But then listen to this. And you who were once, verse 21, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's the pre-regenerate state, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now that sounds like a done deal. Like God's determined... That we who were once alienated and hostile would be reconciled and presented holy and blameless, and we've and we've spent a month lauding that, lauding that. But then look at verse twenty-three. If <laughs> it just feels like a gut punch, doesn't it? Mm. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So, if this has been done, and God has determined that I be reconciled to him and that I be presented holy and blameless if I continue and I'm steadfast, if, air quotes, I persevere, yep. if 
I am preserved. And so I want to let Scripture tell me my salvation is a done deal. I have been saved. I will be finally saved. Mm -hmm. But there is a living that out over time that happens. Yep. There is a perseverance that actually has to happen in time. Is Jesus Christ the incarnate Son of God? Yes. Is he fully God, fully man? Yes. Was he fully God, fully man during the days of his incarnation? Yes. Did he live a sinless life, and was he a perfect sacrifice? Yes. But did he still have to walk out learning obedience by the things he suffered in time? Yes. And did he have to live that out, walk that out, independence on the holy spirit and on the father yes now we could there's more theology we could unpack there but the point is we do walk out our salvation with fear and trembling yeah oh yeah because we know it's god at work in us to will and do according to his good pleasure right like so that we've got to let scripture not leave us in a place of insecurity Mm mm-hmm but a place of security that I am saved and I will still be saved tomorrow. Yes, because because of who's doing the work. Who's doing the work. And I think we, we could also go to James chapter 1 where James would write to the, the 12 tribes in the dispersion, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of, and testing is that word, mm-hmm. of all kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith is going to produce what? Perseverance. Mm-hmm. In other words, God's putting on display the genuine, effective work of saving faith, the gift of saving faith, in and through testing, in and through trials, right? Even in and through temptations, he's doing that, and he will complete it. Yeah, and this is, you know, back to Colossians 1, this is part of the reconciling all things in Christ. Right. Right. This is not uh, like we were talking about. It's not once saved, always saved. It's also not a hyper Calvinistic uh, approach of yeah, just don't worry about it. You're good. God's going to do whatever He wants, and you just don't have anything to do with it. No, it's He invites us to participate with Him in that work. Yes. Which should produce, which has just become a recurring theme the last several weeks. That produces joy in what God is doing mm. because. He's doing it. It's a sure thing, and I get to enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> right. But enjoying it doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be times of groaning. Right. And pain and 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 trial that we won't genuinely be tempted. You know, I think if you want to talk about perseverance of the saints, preservation of the saints, you really could just do a whole episode in exeg or maybe four episodes and exegete Romans 8. Yeah. Don't threaten me with a good time. Because we, (laughs) I mean, the earth is groaning. Yeah. We are groaning with it. Yeah. Right? But by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Mm -hmm. Right? And he's, those whom he predestined, those whom he called, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also justified and he glorified. Those are all past tense words. It is a complete work. But he's also working all things together for good our good being our conformity to the image of Christ. That is playing out over time. He's doing that work. So, yes, will you be finally saved? If you persevere, you will. Right. And are you going to persevere? 
Well, yes, because of the God that's at work in you. Mm-hmm. And you are going to participate with him in that. And sometimes that might be painful. Sometimes that might be, it might be painful with joy at the same time. And sometimes it's just going to be pure joy to see, oh man, God is conforming me, conforming me to his image, to the image of Christ. And I am, uh, I am being preserved by him. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Um, me pull up this verse because I can't remember it exactly. Okay, here we go. First Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, what's funny to me is, you know, you have the debate over whether all means all in certain passages, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think this is one of those where all does mean all. Like mm-hmm. if if all good, if every good and perfect gift comes from God, then we should thank Him for every good and perfect gift. Obviously, right? But what do those gifts look like? <laughs> right? It could be God is giving you a gift in whatever hard thing that you're going through that produ- that produces the endurance, yes. that produces the perseverance. And we should thank him for, like, you don't thank him for the cancer because you're just loving the fact that, you, that you're eating up with stage four cancer, mm-hmm. right? It's you thank him for the cancer because it's bringing you closer to him. Yes. Right? And it's, it's an entirely different way of, of seeing life is if it's all a gift from God in the first place, like, <laughs> like if you really boil it down like we're we're more responsible for this now more than ever because we understand more uh for example the mechanisms by which we breathe mm. right yes thank god for every breath and that includes thanking him for every molecule that makes up every cell in all of in both of your lungs mm-hmm, <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like just boil it all down the hemoglobin in your bloodstream <laughs> Your red blood cells, your white blood cells, the plasma, <laughs> like yep. you just keep going. And we have more things to thank God for that he's using for our perseverance and endurance in the faith. Mm, right. So if faith is trust, confidence, dependence on God, mm-hmm. without faith, it's impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. According to Paul in Ephesians, faith is the gift of God not of ourselves, so that anyone can boast. Yep. It makes perfect sense that the way in which God would preserve and keep his people is that he would keep them depending. Yep. He would keep them trusting. Yep. He would keep them confident in who he is. And in whatever majestic, glorious way he wants to do that, so be it. Yeah. Right? Right. In the life of Abraham, I think it's fascinating that Right before God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, he comes to visit Abraham. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't need Abraham's permission to do that. (laughs) But Lot's over there, and here's what God does. It's so funny. The way it's presented in Genesis 18 is that when the men who had met with Abraham, ate with him, and had... This was the three at the Oaks of yeah, Mamre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, they're setting out towards the city, and it's almost like God intentionally thinks out loud, or I, I think this is Jesus here, mm-hmm. uh, 
thinks out loud so that Abraham hears him. And he says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham, listen to this, shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham, bring to Abraham what he has promised him. In other words, Abraham is the seed through which the multiple generations mm-hmm. will learn what it means to have confidence in the righteousness and justice of God. And so what does God do? He invites Abraham into a conversation, almost like a negotiation, although I don't think it really is, right. that you know, if, if there are 50 there, if there are 40 there in Sodom, if there, it gets all the way down to, what, 10? Yep. If there are 10 yep. righteous people there, I won't destroy the city. Why does God do that except to preserve and nourish, I think, Abraham's confidence, trust, and dependence in the righteousness and justice of God, not only to preserve him in the wake of his judgment, but to preserve multiple generations after him, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because it's going to be through Abraham that the nation of Israel comes, and this nation, this this uh, bloodline of people having confidence in the righteousness and justice of God, I mean, it's not going to be thwarted, but in the context of the narrative, it could be thwarted if Abraham concludes God's not just. He destroyed the righteous with the unrighteous. Mm-hmm. But God's like, no, I want you to learn something about my justice. I want you to learn something about my righteousness, Abraham, so that I think it not only preserves Abraham, but it preserves the generations after him. But yeah, I mean, it's, and you see direct correlations there with those themes uh, and things like Romans 8 and 9, right? And it, it, it really just goes to show how consistent Scripture is. Yes. My goodness. It's not, you know, people will try and say, oh, yeah, there's totally, you know, evidence for Calvinism and Arminianism, so I'm not either. And then they immediately go and start arguing for Arminianism, even though they don't call it that, right? Mm. And they'll say there's evidence for both, when really it's not. Mm. The Bible has one message, and it's it's loud and clear. Mm. There are passages in Scripture that are tough, granted. Uh, like the first few verses of uh, Luke 16 that we just got through, and yeah. and and you looked up Sproul, and Sproul didn't know what to do with it either, right? <laughs> Which made you feel a whole lot better. It you were did. in good co- in it good did. company, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it it gets it's this is kind of a theme through this show is all of theology connects to every other part of theology. Your doctrine of God necessarily informs your soteriology. Both of those should inform your eschatology. Uh, all of that put together should inform how you live your life. Certainly. Right, and if, if you're waiting for this pre-tribulational rapture, that will affect how you live your life. If you expect Jesus to put all of his enemies under his feet in history— that will also affect how you're living your life. Sure. Yeah, you know, and you know, it it all connects. It's it's all consistent and it's just more fun that way. You know, and I don't know if we have people listening to this that struggle with the doctrines of grace, struggle with tulips, struggle with Calvinism like they they're just struggling to get their heads around things like 
limited atonement and you know um you know sovereign election and and all these kinds of things i i, I would say if if you're out there listening to this i i get that i get that we we've both been there yes but if 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 we were to put a bow on this for those who are kind of on the journey of like you know discovering a biblical soteriology um i would say this first and foremost don't attribute your salvation to your own work like and i, and I don't think i don't think any christian is going to struggle to that they'll be like right. yeah god did something mm-hmm. god did something that brought me into his kingdom and and transformed me brought me from death to life okay if you if, if we can agree on that then i think we could also agree that if you're saved you're going to be saved tomorrow because God is keeping you. Mm-hmm. And I think you got to get both those pieces right. Um, if, if the middle is fuzzy for you, then okay. All right. Just get total depravity. I, I If I'm going to be saved, I need God to do something. Yep. And get perseverance of the saints. Yep. I'm not saying that that's entirely enough, but I'm saying that's a great place to start is that God saved you and God's going to keep you saved. Mm-hmm. And if the middle's fuzzy, okay, but just realize it, it is Christ, the Christian life is a life of utter and total dependence. That is clear in Scripture. Yep. God is keeping his people dependent on him for his glory and their joy. And so if we can get those bookends right, then I think you can have not only great security in your salvation, but you can have great joy in your salvation. Where we come off the rails is when we conclude on one end or the other that it was my decision Mm -hmm. that got me saved and or it's my continued decision that's going to keep me saved. What has that done? That's effectively put the spotlight on you and made you dependent on yourself, which is what got us in this mess in the first place. Yeah, that that would then mean that the the only difference between you and someone who goes to hell is you. Is you. And that is simply not what the Bible teaches. And not I think all. we can all agree on that. Again, let me be clear about this. I'm not saying that we need to be okay with a fuzzy middle. Right. And, and, and I'm, when I say middle, I'm thinking about tulip, mm-hmm. right? I'm thinking about the T-U-I-L-P. I'm saying if you're struggling with what we've talked about in the, you know, the last two or three episodes, then I would say lean into the T and the P. Mm-hmm. Lean into I must have a divine work of grace in my life. God must do something through Christ by the power of his spirit in me that is comparable in power to the raising of Christ from the dead. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I am utterly and totally dependent on him and embrace the promises in his word that you are going to persevere. You are going to continue in the faith, not because you are continuing to make good choices, but because God is at work in you for his glory, right? For his, for your joy, uh, to conform you to the image of his son. And, and I think if we could start there, that honestly, for me, that's where 
the journey to reform theology really got sweet is that I just said, okay, I'm not sure about limited atonement. I'm not sure about irresistible grace, right? I'm not sure about unconditional election, but here's what I know. I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel who didn't want God until he brought me out of darkness and into light. He did that. Yep. And I know that if he did that, my staying saved's not owing to me either. So I'm going to just lean into that. Yep. And and you know what will happen for you if you do that? The Bible will come alive in a fresh new way. Mm-hmm. You will start to read the passages that we laud about our salvation. You'll start to sing the songs that we sing that laud the joys of our salvation with a different, uh, f- I would say, a fresh joy, a fresh sense of peace. Uh, you'll sing it as well differently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? You absolutely will. And, and that's a good thing. And I would say, do that and lean into the scriptures and trust the Holy Spirit to just continue to unfold the joys of salvation to you. So to boil it down, if we start with the T and the P, we're saying you need to TP your theology and go from there. (laughs) I could tell by the smirk on your face while I was talking, you had something cooking over there. Yeah, you're welcome for that. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the Inquisition. And this is the Inquisition, where you throw us questions, we answer them on the fly, which normally isn't all that different from the rest of the show, except for the last five weeks. So, as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who has a really good question that it's one of those things where your theology affects the rest of your life. He says, I've seen a billion articles. I don't know if that's literal. Uh, We'll be dispensationalists and say he actually did read a billion articles. Um, I've... (laughs) I've seen a billion articles about quiet quitting lately, which is basically a trendy way to say a person stops going above and beyond at work and only does the bare minimum that their job requires. Is this quiet quitting compatible with the Protestant work ethic in passages like Colossians 3.23, which says, and you version rebooted on me whatever you do work heartily as for the lord and not for men knowing that from the lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the lord jesus christ so basically what's come about is with the work uh, the labor shortage a lot of people are getting new responsibilities without getting pay raises and they're kind of mailing it in Mm. so how like I think this is a legitimately tough thing because you can say just blunt, get over it. You need to work hard and exhaust yourself at work, which I would agree on its face. But at the same time, you, I think you do have instances of companies legitimately abusing the efforts of their employees. Yes. Uh, and so there's kind of a give and take here, right? Yes. I, I, just the name, quiet quitting, I do not think is compatible with Colossians 3. Right. I, I think that that to me, it, at least in the way it's presented, seems to point towards like uh, almost, uh, almost a passive aggressive. Um, We're called to be aggressive aggressive, right? It, well, <laughs> well, yeah, or, or like almost like you're just sort of um, finding a, a creative way to, to give your company the middle finger. Yeah. And I just don't think that's Christ-like. I don't think that's what the Lord would call us to. I think I, I'm willing to acknowledge that 
they're, they're, Christians can find themselves in situations where they are being treated unjustly. But, you know, and, and we could talk about what you do with this, but you, slaves who are owned by unjust masters are called to work. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. you know, heartily and be faithful and be loyal, right? Even to, you know, abusive masters like that. Now, I'm not saying that that's a carte blanche kind of thing that you means you have to stay under an abusive boss. Right. But I think if you're going to address this, address it head on. Don't take some quiet, passive, aggressive, I'm just not going to do my job. I'm going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs and stick it to them. Yeah. That 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 does not that's that doesn't belong in the kingdom. You know, I think I've kind of been chewing on, you know, a lot of concepts. But in terms of economies, um, have we gotten too big? In terms of like companies like Amazon and Walmart, or even locally BMW and Michelin, where we have you know the North American headquarters of BMW here, is are some of these companies too big to healthily work for at least in a long-term situation and is the future of free markets going to be more regional i think possibly That's uh, a good question more more familial um where you're gonna have more cottage industries and stuff like that and i think some of this may be uh the downstream effects of corporate culture that was kind of set up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and is kind of working its way out. And we're kind of seeing the limitations of some of that. Not all of it's bad. Nope. Uh, having a large company really has a lot of benefits. It does. Uh, literally and in the, like literal in the salary sense, <laughs> but but in the in the logistics and all that kind of thing. But it also has setbacks. Yeah. And, and we just need to be honest about those and know what we're getting into. Yep. And uh, and Christians need to be the best freaking employees on the planet uh, within their companies. And, you know, if you're the best employee within your company and you just keep working your way up the ladder, and I'm not, this isn't like a seven mountain mandate, NAR nonsense kind of thing. Uh, it's more along the lines of if you're really good at your job, this is even in the Proverbs, you see a man skilled in his work, he'll stand before kings. He won't stand before obscure men. Mm. And if and if we're really good at what we do, we can change that culture. We can, and I think uh, not in an individualistic sort of way, but right. I think every individual Christian needs to be saturated with Scripture in prayer and with Christian community in order to walk these things out. Yep. You know, like I, if 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 I'm in that position, bef- I would never consider quite quitting, but I would be on my face before the Lord and I would be humbling myself before my brothers and sisters in my small group or in my church saying, help me pray about this. And what, this is what I'm struggling with and what I need to hear and discern what it is that the Lord wants me to do because he might want you to get a different job or look for a different job, or he might want you to stick it out and, and, and affect the culture of that that place, that company yeah. who you work for. And that's that's how Westminster Effects got started in part was I was at a job that had turned totally toxic mm-hmm. and it wasn't good for me to stick around there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had become clear that whatever I did was going to be wrong, even mm-hmm. though I was doing the right things, yeah. <laughs> right? And so it's like, well, let's get out. Let's do something else. And well, here we are now. Yeah. 
Good question, Brian. Very good question. Next question, last question from Matthew Winter. <sighs> what do we think about the Matt Chandler situation? I don't know yet. Um, what? You didn't have a knee-jerk reaction like everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to avoid such things. Um, yeah, right? I'll say two things. And I'll, I'll first, I'm going to put the the worst possible spin on it. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I'm going to put the best possible spin yeah. on so it. So let's let's define it really quick yeah, for sure. those who, yeah, yeah. who aren't familiar. is So Matt Chandler, the, uh, I guess, lead pastor, teaching pastor, or something along the lines of uh, the Village Church uh, in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas, has been, he's basically been, for disciplinary reasons, he is not preaching for the foreseeable future because of an inappropriate online relationship with a female who wasn't his wife. It wasn't sexual in nature, uh, but apparently it, their words are it was too familiar and he joked too crassly. Yep. And they said he used language unbecoming of a pastor. They didn't get into that, so we don't know exactly what he said. Uh, but that's basically what we know. Yep. Unguarded, unwise, familiar, and frequent, coarse joking, yep. non-romantic, non-sexual. Yep. Uh, which has a lot of people asking the question, what's the big freaking deal? I mean, right. why why make this public? Why not do some behind-closed-doors disciplinary action, mm -hmm. which is why I, I say to put the worst possible spin on it would be they're not telling us and I've, I've seen Everything. a lot of those allegations floating around Facebook. That there's more to this. They're trying, They, you know, it, it, apparently this all came to light several months ago. Mm -hmm. And perhaps behind closed doors, they've worked a deal and done damage control. Mm -hmm. And here's, here's what we're going to make publicly known in order to hopefully make this go away. Mm-hmm. That's the worst possible spin, and it might be what's happened. It could be, yes. Here's the best possible spin. That this isn't an overreaction to something small, that it actually is the elders doing their job to say, you know what, Matt, this is unbecoming of you, mm -hmm. and we could deal with this in a private manner and, and maybe not be unbiblical, but we feel like we need to head this off at the pass. We feel like we need to nip this in the bud. Yep. We 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 feel like the the fact that you didn't realize that this was unguarded, unwise, too familiar, too frequent. We want to we we want to go ahead and implement some discipline for as in Matt Chandler's words, uh, for disciplinary reasons and developmental reasons. Mm -hmm. If that's what's actually happening. I think I'm reasonably okay with that. Like oh, I think yeah. I, th I think I would say good for them. Um, I'm, I'm I may not have gone about it exactly the same way. Yep. Um, but it it just seems fuzzy to me, and I'm not sure what to think about it. I think we're all going to have to wait mm -hmm. and have to wait and see, which and is almost impossible right now. It's almost everybody's jumping on it. Everybody's got an opinion. Why did they not mention the woman that he was messaging? Why, why, why wasn't she prayed for, you know, all, all these kinds of things that I just think, you know what, we just need to slow down, calm down, let this play out over time and trust God with it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I tell you one thing that I, that does bother me 
um, is, is you hear this a lot with particularly very well-known, famous uh, pastor teachers that have large ministries. The pace I keep. Mm. The pace I keep. I'm tired. I'm, yep. I, I'm, I'm exhausted. It's an appeal for sympathy. Like, oh, okay. You, yeah, you know, Matt, you, uh, like I, I saw where this Yahoo, and he is, a, he is a Yahoo con man of the first order, Perry Stone. I mean, he's a Church oh, of God guy. Um, he, um, Apparently, he, he, he really is like among the worst of the worst. Oh, he's terrible, uh, terrible, and but but like there was some audio that came out last spring of him, you know, threatening to kill himself mm-hmm. uh, because of allegations that were continuing to come out of his inappropriate behavior with women, and he he said the same thing: the demands of this ministry and 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 all this, you know, woe is me, and it's it's you know, I, I'm like, first of all. The Apostle Paul was beaten how many times? <laughs> and, and and was stoned and thrown off a cliff and left for dead. Yep. Shipwrecked how many times, yep. right? Like, yep. I, 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 don't talk to me about the pace you're keeping, okay? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that pastors don't work hard or that they shouldn't work hard. You're not saying that burnout's not a thing. No, I've, I've, been, I've felt burnout before. Yeah. There are weeks where my pace is stupid crazy. And but you, you know there's like, a, like yesterday, like yesterday, it was just insane. But you know what? I th- I think there there's a the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, and I, I have accountability around me. I have elders, I have trustees, I have I, I have I have a staff. I, I I can I can rest when I need to. You know, um, I I just don't understand why we have this notion. That people, you know, should run at such a pace that it tires them out to the mm-hmm. point that they become this vulnerable to temptation. That's just bothering me. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the good things about this to kind of contrast it with, because everybody's going to go there, is contrasting it with the uh, the Mars Hill situation with Driscoll. Mm-hmm. Is effectively he rewrote the church bylaws himself to really give himself all of the power that he wanted Mm -hmm. where in this situation and even here at res there's some kind of mechanism where the elders can be like nope Mm -hmm. you're not doing that Mm -hmm. uh and and they you know whether you want to say they yank the leash or use the shepherd's crook and (laughs) no get over here Mm -hmm. kind of thing uh like we know our elders here can call you out on any number of things whenever they feel like it absolutely (laughs) whenever they they think that they should and and they have told you no. You need to go back and re-preach that a couple times. <laughs> Absolutely. We had a meeting Monday night, and I went in there and said, "This is what I think." We were a little bit ahead in Luke, and this is what I I think. And and they're like, "No." And I was like, after a while, I went, "You know, y'all are right. I was wrong." And and I think I'm not saying that we're perfect. I, I, right. I don't want to ever sound that way, but I do think that the Bible and the, the the way the church should be set up, and the, I think the Bible is explicit enough with this, that th- there shouldn't be pastors out there running at such a pace that they're this vulnerable. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I just don't get that. I I, I think w- more what what I would love to hear a pastor say is not, 
you know, the pace I keep and it's just tiring is whatever is like, you know what? I'm, I'm struggling with the amount of notoriety and power that I feel. Yeah. You know, you contrast that, that is different. You contrast that with when Piper took his extended sabbatical in 09 ish. Mm-hmm. When the, the, you go to Desiring God, you can read the blog he wrote about that. And what he identified was what he called several species of pride mm-hmm. that needed to be dealt with. Not disqualifying sin. He had not gotten caught with an inappropriate relationship with a woman. Mm-hmm. But you know what he snuffed out early on, and maybe perhaps with the help of his elders, is that, you, you, Piper, you got, you got a lot of notoriety here. The temptation for pride is real, and pride comes before the fall. Um, I think it's it's not fatigue that's leading these guys to make bad decisions. Yeah, it's pride. Yeah, and that that's concerning to me. Which to go full circle with our last Inquisition question, you know, are are churches going to be able to stay that big uh, for much longer? I question it, Cody. I, I, I mean, I am not. I, I do don't too. think the Bible's opposed to mega church, but right. I I. I the village church has 14,000 people. Like, mm-hmm. I have, as a deacon, so I'm not, like, shepherding everybody in the church or anything like that, but I have trouble keeping up with the 240, 250 that we have. <laughs> and I'm sure you do, too. <laughs> I do. And, you know, like, C.S. Lewis said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said he wasn't opposed, he, he was not in favor of slavery. But... The reason he's not in favor of slavery is, he said, was not because he doesn't think that some men um, don't deserve to be slaves, but that I see no men fit to be masters. Mm-hmm. And and not apples to apples, but sometimes I just wonder, in the age of the megachurch, can that be sustained? Because I don't see any men, myself included, <laughs> thank you very much, <laughs> who are fit to deal with that kind of notoriety. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's there's nothing wrong with having a platform. There's nothing wrong with publishing a ton of books. Totally agree. Blogs, it's podcasts, just scary. Whatever. It's just scary. Yeah. It's there there are pitfalls. Uh there's it's 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 weird. It really strikes me as strange every time it happens. But I have we and we have people tell us that our pod this piddly old podcast from this dumb little pedal company in Greer, South Carolina, that it's benefited them somehow, mm-hmm. right? And it would it would be really easy to slip into some kind of pride. Oh, I got it made. I'm affecting change in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's only God's grace in the first place, right? Yeah, it's that's that's where you have to root yourself. Is like we were talking about in the first half is dependence. It's all an exercise in dependence, mm. and the bigger your platform gets and the more notoriety you get, the easier it is to think that you don't have to depend. Well, I'll put a bow on this Matt Chandler question and say this. you know, The Bible's clear. God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Yep. Over time, we'll find out if God's opposing Matt Chandler or giving grace to Matt Chandler. Yep, exactly. Which which should be encouraging and humbling, absolutely. <laughs> At the same time, and I pray, I pray, I earnestly pray because I I have really um, enjoyed and benefited from, in many cases, Matt's 
commitment to sound theology. Yeah, me too. Uh, and his exposition of the scripture. Um, I, I've really appreciated the way he's led his church, a multi-site mega church. Um, I've, I've appreciated the way he's handled Acts 29 uh, to the degree that I'm knowledgeable, knowledgeable of that. But I really do pray that this is a case of you know, he needs to re he needs to be disoriented so that he can be reoriented. Yeah. And that yeah. God's doing that work and it it will be incredibly fruitful. A simple case of hopefully being a simple case of he did something dumb, not horrendously wicked. Yes. Right. And that he gets restored. Amen. So all right. Well thanks for listening to the Westminster Effects Oxology podcast. Go love God. Love your neighbor makes music. We'll see you next week. <laughs>